back to another episode of love and game film the podcast about a love of sports and sports films tv shows documentaries just general all things that you love that combines sports and movies i'm your host jc de leon you can find me on twitter or x whatever the fuck it's called now instagram and tiktok at jc de leon one you can follow the show on those same platforms as well at love game film For this episode, we're going to talk about some really cool things. You hear me talk constantly about how real-life sports provides real-life cinematic moments. And we had one this past week, uh, thanks to the greatest soccer player of all time, arguably the greatest soccer player of all time, Lionel Messi. Uh, We're going to talk about that a little bit and what he brought to the discussion as far as how sports can be cinematic. And, I mean, this is kind of unbelievable what he did. Uh, We're going to talk about LeBron James a little bit as far as things that are potential newsworthy items and, and stories and things that may have future documentaries or at least just think pieces written about them. Uh, We'll get into more detail about it, but his son... His oldest son, who's going to be a freshman at USC, actually experienced a cardiac arrest, which has been kind of plaguing young athletes as of late. And we'll we'll talk more about that in a little bit as well. I've got a review of a really cool documentary that combines sports and movies, fictional movies, and politics if you're into that sort of thing. Uh, it's sort of a unique documentary that covers maybe one of the most unique human beings of all time and then of course as far as film phenomenons and just ways in which people get to experience the thing that they love which is going to the movies this past weekend provided a very unique experience in the form of two movies two very different movies one called barbie one called oppenheimer to create the phenomenon known as barbenheimer we're going to talk about that as well. But let's move on to the first topic of what's going on in the wide world of sports. So another thing you'll, you've will you heard me talk about before is how much my love of soccer is growing. And its proper name really is, should be football because it's just kind of, you know, what it is. Uh, it's as an American who, who still kind of likes American football, um... I'm not going to spend the rest of my life kind of distinguishing between American football and football. I'm just going to call one soccer and the other one football. Even people who are true soccer soccer zealots, they they don't mind it being called soccer. However, one thing you do not do is make the mistake of calling the rule offsides in soccer as you would in American football. It's offside because only one player is offside at a time, whereas... In American football, I suppose multiple players can be offsides. I don't really know the difference. All I know is dumb Americans like me call it offsides when it should be offside. 
that is the only thing that uh, you'll hear a correction on, at least in my experience. Uh, thank you, Marcus. <laughs> uh, I really don't mind being corrected. It's fine. I, As someone who's really growing to love the sport, I, I definitely want to get as much right as you can. But what happened in soccer this past week? Well, so you have the MLS, which is Major League Soccer. It has been around for roughly 27 years. Actually, I think it's 29 years. I totally didn't just Google that after I said 27. So it's been around damn near 30 years. And it's growing. It started with a, you know, a World Cup that was held in the U.S. around 1992. That sort of, that sort of lit the spark to sort of create the you know, the league and sort of increase the buzz hasn't really taken off the way people think in the last, let's say eight or so years, soccer has taken a tremendous leap in popular popularity in America. And the MLS has been, has increased in that. And me being a resident of Austin, Texas has got to experience that because we have a brand new MLS team called the Austin FC. They're in our third season right now. It has been a lot of fun rooting for a major league professional team in Austin. I really hope that it opens the door for more professional teams to come in to Austin. But in order to truly ascend the way MLS has sort of desired to, or the way it sort of seems like it's going to maybe 10 years from now, it it needed a little boost. It needed something. And part of that little boost came in the deal that they signed for broadcasting rights to Apple TV+. Plus. So they signed an exclusive deal with Apple TV Plus, which does put it behind a paywall, unfortunately. However, the presentation that Apple TV Plus provides is second to none. Graphics are beautiful. I don't know what kind of cameras they're using, but the picture is absolutely outstanding. Every MLS game I've watched on Apple TV Plus has just been some of the best experience I've ever had watching broadcast sports on television. It's a really pristine presentation that they provide so that helped provide a big boost that and their their deal with t-mobile anyone who's a t-mobile customer also got a free year of mls uh, of apple tv plus on mls so you know i've been able to watch it and i didn't have to pay for it which has been great because i've been able to watch more than just austin fc atlanta's got a really good team LAFC and LA Galaxy, they have an intense rivalry. Those games are crazy every time they get together. But it still needed a little little bit of a push. And about a year ago, there starts to be rumors that Lionel Messi might be interested in playing for Miami, Inter-Miami, the MLS franchise. I personally didn't put a lot of credence to those rumors because Lionel Messi is he's in his prime. He he just won the World Cup for Argentina. He was the most valuable player in that tournament. He's just everything he does with the soccer ball is just magic. He he's basically LeBron in soccer. And I just always thought, you know, as much as MLS is gaining in popularity and as much as I like watching it and as much as crazy as the goals are, as opposed to like premier league goals and things like that, MLS is a really entertaining product to watch. But even I understand that it's fairly inferior soccer when it comes to premier league and champions league, and even some of the the Mexican leagues 
that are out there. It's a great product. There's great players here. It's just, you know, sometimes the best players aren't playing in this league. So for Lionel Messi to be interested in an MLS franchise, it didn't make sense to me. It it would be like LeBron James going to play for the Shanghai Sharks in the prime of his career, which right now he's a little bit past his prime. But if, you know, if his contract was up with the Lakers and he's still capable of scoring 28 points a game and eight rebounds, eight assists in the NBA, but he says, you know what, I'm going to take my talents to Shanghai, that wouldn't make sense to anyone, regardless of how much money they paid him. And especially when you look at what Lionel Messi was being offered. He's being offered from his current team hundreds of millions of dollars. He was being offered nearly a billion dollars to go play in Saudi Arabia. Inter-Miami doesn't have anywhere near that amount of money to offer him, but what they do have is a piece of Apple TV pie, a piece of the MLS pie. And it was presented to him that what he could do for MLS is increase the popularity and the interest exponentially. And that he would end up profiting in the long run from that. And lo and behold, that's the deal that he took. About a month ago, he announced that, yes, he is going to come to Inter-Miami. He is going to play for the MLS. He's going to bring a couple of his closest teammates, one of them being Sergio Busquets. The messy impact was immediate. The Inter-Miami Instagram page went from 700,000 followers to 15 million followers within a matter of days. Every single road ticket for Inter-Miami was sold within hours. People are interested in seeing Messi. How could he possibly deliver with all of this immense pressure on him? He's so good at soccer, yet soccer is so unfamiliar with most Americans here, he was able to walk around a grocery store in Miami relatively unnoticed before his first game. It was just a crazy thing. Like imagine seeing LeBron James at your local HEB or Albertsons or whatever your local grocery store is and not being bothered because nobody really knows who he is. That wouldn't happen, but it happened in Miami. So fast forward to a week ago or four or five days ago, the League's Cup, which is a brand new tournament that MLS has started with Liga Emekis. It is a brand new in-season tournament with a huge cash prize. The games don't count toward the MLS record, but like I said, it's a huge cash prize tournament. And so it was announced that Lionel Messi would make his debut at the start of the League's Cup. His first game against Cruz Azul it's announced that he's not going to start. He still has to train a little bit and come back. Even though he, it was announced that he wasn't going to start, pandemonium at this first game. LeBron is there. Serena Williams is there. Kim Kardashian is there. So many famous people are there to see him play his first game. He's not even starting. It's announced that he's not even starting. The game goes on. The entire first half goes by. No Lionel Messi. Second half starts. No Lionel Messi. It's reported that he's expected to play maybe 20 to 25 minutes. Well, around the 54-minute mark, he jumps into the game, him and Sergio Busquets. His impact is immediate. While he doesn't score any goals within the first 90 minutes, 
His impact is immediate. Sergio Busquets is a master at getting him the ball, and as soon as Lionel Messi gets the ball, his momentum is forward towards the goal. He's such a good passer. He's so good at finding his teammates in great spots. Cruz Azul just played really great defense on him because they play, they really keyed in on Lionel Messi. But he's so good, even then, he couldn't be stopped. Well, again, while he didn't score any goals in that first 90 minutes, well, soccer has a rule. Instead of overtime, there's a thing called stoppage time. Based on substitutions and injuries and things like that, referees basically figure out how much time was spent throughout the second half to add on to the end of the game, which ends at 90 minutes. This game didn't have very many stops, so there was only two to three minutes of stoppage time. Ball goes back and forth, nobody scores, and all of a sudden, Lionel Messi gets the ball near the top of the penalty box. Not in the penalty box, but near the top of the penalty box, and he gets hit. Because it wasn't in the penalty box, he doesn't get a free penalty kick. He gets a free kick. The free kick versus a penalty kick basically means a penalty kick is just you and the goalie, nothing in between. A free kick, the opposing team can line up in front of you and try to block the pass. So... Surely, in this moment, when the game is tied, Lionel Messi is lining up for a free kick. Only in a Hollywood movie would he line up and take this kick on his first game in his American debut with the game tied and literally no time left. This was at the end of stoppage time. This is in the four-minute mark, which is actually even going a little bit beyond the stoppage time. Well, here's what happens. Joseph Martinez now. Trying to play the 1-2 with Messi. Challenges coming in from either side. Free kick given. And this, my friends, is Lionel Messi territory. The last kick of the game will come from the left side of the pitch, about 25 yards from goal. And honestly, this is penalty kick range from Lionel Messi. How many times have we seen him score goals from this sort of position? Edge of the D. Challenge coming from behind, and a free kick to come. Four men in the wall for Cruz Azul, a draft excluder behind them. The whistle sounds, Messi approaches, he goes for it, and he scores! Lionel Messi on his debut has produced a moment of magic everyone came to see. With the last kick of the game, Lionel Messi has won it for Inter-Miami. Unbelievable! Truly just magical, magical stuff. Like that call was courtesy of Chris Whittingham of the MLS radio network. And he couldn't have painted a picture any clearer. Without seeing the video, you can picture him 25 yards at the top of the box. A wall of defenders in front of him. That ball could not have gone anywhere else. An inch to the left, an inch to the right. 
an inch up, it wouldn't have gone in. An inch right, the goalie would have got it. An inch down, the goalie would have got it. An inch left, it would have hit the post. An inch up, it would have hit the post. It went exactly where it needed to go. Lionel Messi hasn't played soccer for, I believe, several weeks, if not several months, which is why he didn't start this game. He needed to get into better conditioning. And he started <laughs> just immediate impact as soon as he made this game. And him combined with Apple have done more for MLS and soccer in this country than ESPN did in 27 years with MLS. ESPN had exclusive rights to MLS for so long and they did nothing with it. The league, the league barely grew. And now you've got sold out stadiums to see not just Messi. You've got European players who play excellent soccer playing in the MLS. The Austin FC in its second year made it to the semifinals of the of the playoffs last year were a couple of goals away from making it to the final. Had they beaten LAFC, I believe they would have beat Philadelphia Union. It's just soccer is really an amazing sport. And if you if you need help getting into soccer, I can offer this advice. If you're into American football and you need help getting into soccer, the way that I approached it, as I was watching soccer, I saw the parallels between time of possession and change of possession. You know, the only difference is they don't score as often. But even then, near goals are super exciting. When a team makes a run toward the goal and just takes a shot, whether it goes in or not, it's exciting. Give soccer a chance. Especially if you're a parent, there's there's two sports that I believe are essential to helping kids grow up and be good athletes, and it's basketball and soccer. I no longer think it's football. I used to, for a long time, say if I had kids, I would absolutely let them play football because football was such a great experience for a great experience for me. I I if I have kids, if I ever have kids, if I'm ever lucky enough to, I don't think I would let them play football. I would encourage basketball, obviously, because I love basketball, and I would encourage soccer. Football for a multitude of reasons. Um, the danger to you know with head injuries and just the danger of the sport in general, but also this other news story that I forgot to mention at the top of the show. Um, this story that's plaguing NFL running backs. So we talked last episode about unions, and uh, the SAG and WGA strikes and how important unions are. Well, professional sports leagues have unions as well. Major League Baseball has a very strong union. Those players are treated and compensated extremely well. The NBA, the NBA, I think, might have the best union out of all of them. The commissioner and the owners really listen to the players, really have their best interests at heart. The, you know... Things have been collectively bargained, like the elimination of testing for marijuana. It, you know, professional athletes and, you know, a lot of people in general, the stigma of marijuana is going away, and NBA players like to smoke marijuana. And so that's just something that they players have gotten, the, the league has gotten rid of. One of the worst unions, I think, in all professional sports is the NFL union. NBA, ML, NBA and MLB players, their contracts are guaranteed. Whether you're injured, if you have an injury, if you can't play ever again, no matter what, 
you're taking care of your money is guaranteed. NFL money is not guaranteed. NFL contracts are incentive laden. There are so many stats that players have to hit in order to get all of their money. And most of the times they don't. It's getting to the point where certain positions have become devalued because of the nature of the game and the nature of the NFL CBA. Let me give you the basics. So when you're a rookie in the NFL, for the first couple of years, you're paid what's called the rookie scale. If you're a great, impactful quarterback, your franchise, for a couple of years, has a window in which you as a great quarterback are not taking up very much of the salary cap, and the team can build around you. They can put great running backs. They can put great receivers. They can put great offensive lines. They can put great tight ends. They can give you, as a great quarterback, all the tools that you need. When your rookie scale contract runs out and it's time for you to get into, get an extension, that is when the big money comes in, the second contract. Receivers, quarterbacks, tight ends, offensive linemen have no problem getting their money on their second contract because after those rookie years, there's still plenty of value for them to provide. Not the same for running backs. There's that old Western song, Mamas, Don't Let Your Boys Grow Up to Be Cowboys. Don't let your boys grow up to be running backs. Running backs in the NFL, after about the third or fourth year, their productivity drops significantly. No matter how good of a running back you are. Adrian Peterson was one of the greatest running backs of all time. By the age of 29, he was pretty much done. Eddie George... Jamal Anderson, I can think of so many great running backs that barely even made it to 30 in their careers, and they just their productivity drops off. Terrell Davis in Denver, at some point for running backs, they're just not as valuable as they were in their early years. Their early years when they were in rookie on the rookie wage. Well, this offseason, there are a number of running backs who aren't getting the money that they feel like they deserve. Because franchises are saying, you're not going to give me the value back that we want for this contract. You've already used up all of your value. So what NFL teams are doing instead is getting younger running backs. The Dallas Cowboys did this with Ezekiel Elliott. Ezekiel Elliott, his first four years, was a great running back. He had some injuries. His, his carries are up. He carried the ball a lot. Last year, he was injured half the season. Tony Pollard, a, I believe he's a rookie or a second-year player, came in, essentially took his place. Ezekiel Elliott is out of the league right now. Doesn't have a job. This happened with Todd Gurley. Todd, Todd Gurley was a running back for the L.A. Rams. He was injured when they played and won the Super Bowl that they won. Because they won the Super Bowl without him, dude never got another job. This is... A pretty big story that I think people are going to explore later on. The the value of athletes and compensation and things like that. And it's it's definitely a first world problem. Worrying about how much millionaire athletes are how much you know, how much more money athletes who are already millionaires are gonna make. It's not something that really you as an everyday person should care about, but as a sports fan it's something you should definitely care about because it's going to affect your team at some point if it hasn't already. 
and plus I think it's just an interesting story. When teams are, I don't want to say conspiring, but teams are basically banding together to collectively say, we don't think it's worth it for this position to get the kind of money that quarterbacks get on their second contracts. This past offseason and the past two years, you've seen quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert and Lamar Jackson get hundreds of millions of dollars of guaranteed money that somehow barely affects the salary cap. They can't do the same for running backs? Well, no, it doesn't make sense to because how much are running backs really going to play? How much are they guaranteed to play? Nobody knows beyond year four. It's a really interesting story and one that I think it's going to take years for it to fully develop into into its into its completion, but it's a really it, it's an interesting story nonetheless. The value of athletes. And like look at the value of Lionel Messi coming into a team that wasn't very good to begin with in inner Miami. In two games now, he's scored three goals and assisted on two others. So in, in less than 120 minutes of playing time, he's responsible for five goals. As a he's only played two games for Inter Miami. If he scores two more goals, he's in their franchise top ten in goal scoring with just five goals. It's pretty crazy. Value is a crazy thing. Value is definitely in the eye of the beholder. And as much as running backs are frustrated, and some of them genuinely are, and they have a right to be, but they're not in, in the position to be doling out the value that they think they have. We'll see where we'll see where that story goes, and we'll take a quick break. Welcome back. Uh, for the main review of this episode, as, as the main sports movie, if you will, that we're going to review for this episode, it's not completely a sports movie. It has a part one called Athlete. And so because of that, I thought, you know what? I could squeeze it into this movie, into this this podcast as a sports film review. Plus, the second part of this documentary does go into a huge amount of movies that I think people really, really absolutely love. This is, of course, the Netflix documentary Arnold, the three-part documentary that covers the life of living legend Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's a fascinating documentary. He's such a genuinely interesting person, and I think one of the cool things about him, everything you've read about him, I don't, I haven't seen or heard of a lot of instances of him really being a jerk or being, you know, mean to fans or anything like that. He, he, he was a young man at one point and he has discretions and he has skeletons in his closet. But when you consider the way politicians and things like that, especially during the me too movement, not just politicians, but actors and directors and really anyone famous who's been called out during the me too movement. There was a time in his life in which he was called out way before the me too movement. And I mean, granted, this is my opinion. And my opinion is that of a man who is not a woman who's never experienced sexual harassment of any kind. But in my opinion, 
when you look at the insincerity of apologies that have come before, like think of Donald Trump in the locker room talk apology, the way in which Arnold Schwarzenegger owns up to the things that he's done in the past and the way he apologizes for them, not just, you know, not just groping women, but also cheating on his wife and fathering a son out of wedlock. The way in which he owns up to that and steps up for it and takes responsibility for it and accountability, I think is really admirable. And I think is really sincere. And to me, I feel like in those instances where he's coming off as honest and genuine, I believed him, believe in his apology and believe in the things that he was saying. Every moment where he's on camera as a currently old man in his home in Austria with his dogs on a farm, I just found completely captivating. He remembers people that he wanted to succeed against. He remembers people that he wanted to show like, fuck you. I can do it. So there, there's such interesting moments. So the part one of this documentary covers him as an athlete, as him, him as a championship bodybuilder. Now as a sport, that may not necessarily be, you know, my definition or, you know, my, it, you know, he's an athlete and he built up his body and he, he is competing in a way, not competing the way I typically like to see in my sports, but, you know, he participated in a sport nonetheless, and he was undoubtedly the best in the world at it for a really long time. He won Mr. Universe pageant after Mr. Universe pageant after Mr. Universe pageant. His body was insane just a huge massive individual and the part one covers his you know his early life as a child his parents his relationship with his brother who passed away pretty early on it's a really fascinating look at how he became the superstar he became when he came to america part two delves into his movie career and it has a lot of interesting backstories behind terminator 2 and, you know, Last Action Hero and things like that. His rivalry with Sylvester Stallone is a must-watch for this documentary. You see the things that they say about each other. You absolutely cannot miss that. Part three might be maybe the least interesting because it, it covers the political part of his career. But when you watch all three parts of the documentary as a whole and you see that this is a man who has led three completely different lifetimes in one lifetime and to see him now he's aware of his mortality he's aware of the things that he's been and done throughout his life it's he's really reflective he's still hungry he's definitely not done doing anything in his life I think it's a really interesting just and, and fun documentary. Um, I love his movies. I've loved his movies since I was a kid. You sort of see how, especially kind of now, the, the importance of just kind of like the dumb action movie. I think 
you know, I, I rewatched the Terminator franchise the other day. Those movies still hold up. And everything that he, he was to me, he still is. Like if I kind of pride myself on being somebody who's, you know, I've been around famous people and I, I don't really get starstruck. Um, I do get kind of starstruck around athletes. Like if I were to ever meet LeBron James, I would freak the fuck out. But actors, I don't think I would. But Arnold Schwarzenegger, I think, is, is a larger than life individual. And I don't know that he's somebody who... Yeah, I think I would I would totally freak out if I met Arnold Schwarzenegger and and everything that I've gathered from this documentary and everything that I've heard about stories about him, as I would be freaking out meeting him, he would be just happy to have made my day, which I, I think is really cool. Um, the Arnold Schwarzenegger is available now on Netflix. Uh, check it out. It's three parts. Flies by. Um, but I think right now we're going to do a fun exercise that I kind of teased when, when the podcast came back and we're going to do, we're going to delve into what I think my, this is my personal Arnold Schwarzenegger top five movies coming in at number five. It's a movie that I've seen a lot movie that I saw a lot as a kid, um, I think the cool thing about movies that you see a lot as a kid and then continue to rewatch as you get older is you catch uh, a lot of tones and things that are missed because they're more geared towards adults. Um, This is definitely a movie that has some of that. Uh, The Running Man, 1987. He plays Ben Richards on a fictional futuristic game show in which, uh, you know, he has to escape getting killed by all these uh, crazy psychopaths and, uh, TV show that people like watching people get killed in. Um, number four. I'm kind of surprised as I kind of went through this. Surprised that this is as low on the list as it is because of the five movies, even though it's not my number one, this might be the one that I rewatch the most. And it would be Predator. This movie is epic. And it's, it's spawned, you know some not so cool sequels and some okay sequels. Nothing touches this movie. This has the, the iconic get to the chopper line that I'm really bad at in Arnold impersonations, but predator is, uh, my number four, uh, number three would be the truly epic. And you've got to appreciate this movie because this is a movie that you can't watch all the time. Because so many of these movies are streaming at different times or they're readily available on several different versions of a DVD or like a special edition DVD or anything like that. This movie has eluded physical media collectors for a long time because James Cameron is just so stingy about it. Rumor is, and there's, there always seems to be a rumor that within the next year this is going to be out on physical media release, but... Coming in at number three is James James Cameron's True Lies. Uh, this has some really epic action sequences. Um, it's sort of a spy thriller. And it has some really cool action. Uh, beautiful Tia Carrere in it. Beautiful Jamie Lee Curtis in a uh, nighttime strip scene. Just a fantastic movie all around. Super fun. Great Bill Paxton performance. R.I.P. Bill Paxton. Uh, I just love love true lies uh coming in at number two 
That would be T2, Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Uh, my rule in making this top five was I could only have one Terminator movie in from the franchise in this top five because otherwise the original Terminator would have maybe been five or something like that. But Terminator 2 is kind of the first... It might have been the first time I was like blown away by a movie in a movie theater when I was a kid. Just the, the epic Guns N' Roses performance, the unreal at the time CGI effects of the liquid metal performance is just one of the coolest damn movies you'll ever see. Every frame of this movie holds up to this day. It's such a great movie. Number one is, and I'm really excited to say this because I think there's a moment in this documentary where Arnold Schwarzenegger talks about his love for this movie and how underappreciated this movie is. I'm so happy he said that because it's my number one. A movie that was way ahead of its time. A movie that was way more clever than people gave it credit for at the time. And I think people are starting to rediscover it. Hopefully people start to rediscover it because it's just such a really cool and fantastic concept. And that's Last Action Hero. Plays a character from a fictional action movie world that gets transported into our real world. I've... I've never had any aspersions or aspirations of being an actor or anything like that. When the first time I watched last action hero, when I would rewatch it as a kid, I would watch the, uh, the kid who was playing Danny Madigan. And it was the first time ever in my life. I would be like, I could be an actor. I could, I could do what this kid does probably better than he can. And I probably could cause that kid sucks. But despite the fact that that kid's performance is terrible, it's just a really funny Arnold Schwarzenegger performance. It's a it, this sort of encompasses all that Arnold Schwarzenegger is. He's he's very funny. He's super strong. He's you know great action star. Everything that Arnold Schwarzenegger is, I believe, is encompassed in Last Action Hero. It's if you've never seen it. Give it a shot. That cover art may look kind of silly if you see it on Netflix or wherever it's streaming, but give Last Action Hero a shot because it truly is fantastic. Um, but the Arnold Schwarzenegger documentary on Netflix, I would give it a really strong all-star rating on my scale of rating, which is a four out of five if you're unfamiliar. Uh, Arnold on Netflix. It is available now, and we're going to take another quick break. All right, back for the next segment, and we're kind of running short on time. I like to, uh, the first couple episodes back have been close to an hour, and I never thought I was somebody who could ramble on for an hour about anything. And here I am with my own podcast that barely anyone listens to, but here I am talking basically to myself for an hour about movies and sports that I love. And if you're listening, thank you very much. I love you very much. Uh, but yeah, this past weekend was a great weekend for the movies. Uh, Barbie and Oppenheimer combined to make nearly $300 million at the box office. Uh, people are coming back to the movies again. And it took the, this, this wild and weird marketing phenomenon of two couldn't be more different movies, a Greta Gerwig movie and a Christopher Nolan movie, whatever it is you think of a Greta Gerwig movie, 
Barbie is not really it, but at the same time, whatever it is you're thinking a Barbie Barbie movie is going to be, um, you're not thinking of what the Barbie movie Barbie movie ended up being. Uh, Barbie was one of the funniest movies I've seen this year. One of the best performances I've seen Margot Robbie do, and I've seen Margot Robbie do some really incredible performances. Uh, it's it's one of the smartest scripts you'll see. And a smart script is definitely something that you would associate with Greta Gerwig. Uh, everything about Barbie was just so clever and so funny, so well done. Ryan Gosling is maybe at his funniest ever in it. And he's been funny in a few things. It's just... You owe it to yourself to see Barbie. If you if you love movies and if you love something that you've never really seen, and you may not think of a Barbie movie, you know the the IP that it is being the most famous toy, maybe in history, and Mattel being a big giant corporation, a big giant faceless, heartless corporation, but Barbie delivers in a way that I didn't expect it to, and. Given everything I'd heard about it going in, I was I I'd begun to raise the bar quite a bit because everything I'd heard about it was just so brilliant. I was like, okay, well, this movie better be amazing. And with those raised expectations, it superseded them. Uh, it's fantastic all around. If you've never seen, if you didn't have any plans on seeing Barbie, you should definitely seek it out because it is one of the most fun times. You'll have the theaters. Uh, I would give Barbie a, an all-star rating, which is four out of five. Uh, moving on to Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer, complete opposite end of the spectrum. A biopic about J. Robert Oppenheimer, who invented the atomic bomb. Uh, this movie kind of goes through the creating of the Los Alamos city that recruited all the scientists and, together and everything they went through and all the thought processes that, that went into creating this bomb, including the possibility that this bomb was going to ignite the atmosphere, creating a never-ending string of explosions that would have destroyed the world. Oppenheimer is pretty much everything you'd expect out of a Christopher Nolan movie. It's, it's epic in every scale. Performances are, are grand. Everything about this movie is just big and in your face and in, you know, very much the way Christopher Nolan intended it to be. Um, Killian Murphy, great performance, turns in a great performance. Robert Downey Jr. Um, kind of steals the movie at the end when, when it seems like the movie is over and it seems like you've seen everything that you've needed to see out of the story. The movie goes on for about another half hour to 45 minutes. And the story that, that that it tells at that point is maybe not what you signed up for, but it's just such it's such great icing on the cake. Especially because of Robert Downey Jr.'s performance. Like it, it's I think it's worth the price of admission alone. Um, Oppenheimer, I really loved it. I would give it a maybe starter and a half, which is about a three and a half out of five. Only because I would have a hard time giving two movies in one weekend both four out of five. 
one of these movies had to be better. And surprisingly to me, I think Barbie was just a little bit better. I'll definitely rewatch Barbie more than I would, more than I will rewatch Oppenheimer, <laughs> but Oppenheimer is great. It uh, released on its own. I probably would have given it a four, maybe four and a half out of five. Uh, Oppenheimer is just fantastic. It's just, it, this was a weird weekend and Barbie kind of delivered, I think kind of what everybody needed as far as where the world is. And if you hate Barbie or if you hate the movie after you see it, um, really examine who you are as a person. And I think you'll see why you might've hated it or, you know, maybe tell people you hate it and let them examine you and make their own conclusions. Cause you know, I'm sure it'll say something about you if you really hate that movie, but yeah, Barbie and Oppenheimer. What a great weekend at the movies. And uh, we're going to close it out with some film study that you can do from home. I had a chance to review the Blu-ray copy of Scream 6. Uh, the Scream franchise is one of my absolute favorite franchises. Um, which is kind of funny because earlier in this episode we talked about Predator, which is also one of my favorite franchises. Like I'm, I'm in the middle of deciding whether or not I would get a, a Predator or a ghost face tattoo maybe both who knows but the scream franchise to me i think is delivered pretty much every time the, the weakest entry being scream 3 but i mean there's a lot of weird reasons that that that's the weakest entry but in a weird way my my favorite premise of all the six movies uh, might be Scream 3. If you've never seen Scream 3, I'm not going to spoil it for you or spoil who the killer is, but I thought that that twist and that storyline was incredibly creative. And everything before it was kind of lackluster execution, but I appreciated the change of venue to Hollywood, California. And Scream 6 sort of does the same thing, which it you know moves to New York City. It follows the same two girls from the previous Scream movie and their friends. The The way in which, you know, the storyline and who the killers end up being, I think, are starting to get a little far-fetched. So this might be one of the more kind of hard-to-believe sequels of the six movies. But that being said, as far as this movie in and of itself, the kills the action the horror i love this movie i thought scream 6 was fantastic i didn't expect to like it as much as i did and even you know as a as a blu-ray it's also it's got a lot to deliver it's got a great audio commentary um it's got a featurette that explores called death comes to the city that explores moving the story to new york um there's a feature that takes a look at the characters. There's, you know, a meta discussion, as there would be, in because it's a Scream movie. You've got to talk about how meta things are and aren't. There's a really pivotal scene in the movie that takes place in a bodega in New York City then, that was in the trailers, and people were kind of taken aback in the trailers because Ghostface, and it's in the trailer, so I'll talk about it, uh, Ghostface uses a shotgun in the bodega and there's a lot of blood 
That's even in the trailers. And so this featurette, it's only about five minutes, but it takes it, it takes a behind the scenes look at this sequence and sort of how it will forever subvert your expectations of what you will at what you'll see from a Scream franchise. Simply because rather than using a knife, at one point Ghostface Ghostface uses a shotgun, which is crazy. Um is a featurette that takes a look at the subway scenes, um, the set pieces, things like that. As a Blu-ray and, and behind-the-scenes features, there's some things that are really interesting. There's some things that are kind of fluff and seem like they're on every Blu-ray. But for this movie, if you're a huge fan of the franchise, you definitely need this Blu-ray. Uh, it's available now wherever Blu-rays are sold. Uh, don't get them from Amazon. Get them from, you know... Like a Barnes and Noble or something. I don't know. I don't know where you get Blu-rays, but uh, Scream Six definitely check that Blu-ray out. And that is going to do it for this episode. To recap, Lionel Messi is great. He'll deliver in the most cinematic way possible, just because he's that great. Uh, mamas don't let your boys grow up to be football running backs. Because that's just no way for them to live. The Arnold documentary. One of the best documentaries you'll see. A lot of fun. Very informative. Uh, Barbenheimer. Two really good movies. That if you haven't been to the movies in a long time. Go to the movies and check them out. I think you'll you'll find that. You'll finally have a good time at the movies again. And Scream 6 on Blu-ray. Get that wherever you can. If you... If you've got the other movies on Blu-ray, why wouldn't you get this one? That's just silly. Um, But that's going to do it. I'm your host, JC DeLeon. You can find me on Twitter, X, whatever the fuck, uh, Instagram, (laughs) TikTok, at JC DeLeon1. You can follow the show on those same platforms, at Love Game Film. If you've listened to this whole episode, thank you for listening to this whole episode. Uh, Love you for that. And until next time, we are out.